Our society is very much built on safety nets and comfort zones. And that's what we're used to. And all of a sudden, when you need to build your own thing, you're kind of pushed out of all that. Welcome to Generation C, a podcast by Cobus, where we explore creativity, growth, and the good life. My name is Julius Gable. And my name is Karl Kronike. And today we have Dia Jovanovic in the studio. Dia is the co-founder of Aries, a new handcrafted and pre-mixed cocktail brand that she founded together with her boyfriend and now business partner back in 2021 during the pandemic. We'll explore what makes Aries such a special brand, uh, why they started Aries in the first place, and how Dia works creatively to fight for her dreams, even in challenging and uncertain times. Starting a new company from scratch is not easy, so working creatively with many constraints, having a, a tight budget being one of them, really forces you to be creative. So I came like 10 years ago, and then I started, it was CBS that brought me here. So I just, I needed to study at a business school, and I didn't want to go to Stockholm and I figured Copenhagen was a good alternative. So that's why I came to Copenhagen and then I ended up staying. I never, we never planned on it. Me and Nick, that's I think the first thing that's important to mention. So Aries started out of, I think more out of necessity than out of will. Uh, me and Nick, we met in Barcelona. I was there traveling with work with my super corporate job and I met him there And at the time he had his own bar in Barcelona. So he was kind of tied there and I was tied up with my job. But then Corona hit and he had to close down that bar because they weren't allowed to, like literally in Spain, you couldn't walk the streets unless you had a dog. So everything shut down. He had to shut down the bar and I was working at a startup. So we all got fired. Yeah, we did. Uh, it was like a multi-million investment in digital marketing. So it was a big project, but the owner had one kind of like one of the biggest Swedish companies and he decided to use all of his funds to save that. And so he cut all of his startups basically. So we were cut. So I lost my job. And during that same time, Nick decided to move to Copenhagen and he started working in the restaurant industry. So he worked at Apollo for some time under Fredrik Bielobraue and then at Restaurant Geist under Bubeck. Um, so he managed those restaurants. Then he had to leave because, you know, everyone was let go at that time, right? And he didn't, I mean, he didn't lose his job, but he was put on a leave of absence. And that's when the idea of Aries was born. And it started out as being, it was a brand very much in the beginning. It wasn't even, there was no product. Um, so he started as a brand that we wanted to do something else with and, Then came the idea of bottling cocktails. And so we kind of just used the brand identity that we had already created, turned it into bottle cocktails. When starting a new company more out of necessity rather than 
something else? Was that because yeah, the harsh uh, times of going from, in Nick's case, running his own cocktail bar in Barcelona and your maybe more stable corporate job and then having that being ripped off underneath your feet due to corona was that kind of the situation that got you together as a couple and then also like where you had to think about okay what could we do here like i mean it could have as well been to kind of seek more stable job opportunities rather than get together and and build a whole new company but why was that the direction you decided to go in do you think i think that period in time was so tough like it was horrible we felt like losers I was unemployed. He had to, I mean, he, he lost a lot of money because he had to close down his business. And I remember that we both looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, we need to flip this. Like we need to flip this into something positive because we do have an option now. We can, we can go out and we can work for someone else and we can get back into the whole hamster wheel. And then we thought to ourselves, or maybe we don't, maybe this is actually a great time to list all of the dreams that we have and everything that we always wanted to do and just cool things that we wouldn't be able to do with for someone else. So yeah, we flipped it around and together we we just said, what what can we do? What do we want to do? And Nick made a long list of his dreams and goals and I made a long list of my dreams and goals. And then that kind of merged together. I mean, this happened, it didn't happen overnight. This is conversations that we had every night for two or three months, you know, when everything was locked. Lockdown was great to reinvent yourself and also to have like a crazy anxiety about life and everything. Yeah. And now, like, Nick had all this experience in both the restaurant industry and also uh, having his own bar. And you had the experience from getting both your bachelor's and master's and working in consultancy. How did you sort of divide the, the roles between each other when you were starting this new venture together? In the beginning, it was very much creative. So we didn't really think about, you do this, I do that. But I guess naturally it happened so that he took all the recipe developments Uh, all the product development, basically. And I did very much of our branding and our look and feel and, uh, you know, just set up some some structures for the company because I knew how to do it. And, and it all kind of evolved naturally. But, you know, in the beginning, when you're just two people and you're running a company, you do everything together. Everyone does everything. You clean the floors, you do the finances, you do the marketing, you mix the cocktails, you bottle it, like you do it all. So I don't think we really had a clear divide, to be honest, apart from him being very, very good at, at the recipes and I'm being very, very good at other things. Why cocktails? How did that end up in being like the product? He was good at making them. I was good at drinking them. Uh, I think it was very, of course, the product itself is very much inspired from Nick's background. If he, he has 10 plus years in the hospitality industry, he won a bunch of cocktail competitions and stuff, and he had his own bar and he managed bars. And so the product itself came from him. I think the company that we built came from a wish to be our own bosses and to have freedom and to have creative freedom to do what we wanted to do. I think we'd many times in life, we felt like we were stuck doing things that other people wanted us to do. And maybe we wanted to do things differently or so. Yeah. Aries is the freedom for us to be what we want to be, I guess. How about like, uh, I mean, I assume creativity has played a big role in developing the the brand and the product, etc. But I mean, we, we have been quite at least in our own little way, big consumers of the of the product here in Cobus and think they, they are they're great both in the looks but also in the 
in the taste, but how did you arrive at this square looking? Uh, it's quite unique, yeah, the design. I think that's the first thing that catches your eye with the product, that quite different bottle uh, it's in. And also just like the pre-mixed category, I think is super interesting. And then like how you've kind of went, went about that in terms of like creating something new to that mix. Yeah, that's actually interesting because the pre-mixed category is like booming right now. It, it wasn't really a thing five years back or four, whatever. It, it Everything actually started with the lockdown because we had a lot of big dinners at home. We had a great apartment. We had dinners. People wanted cocktails. People knew that Nick was great at making cocktails. And was this in Copenhagen or in Barcelona? Copenhagen, hmm. yeah. So, you know, whenever we had friends over, they were like, Nick, can you please make a cocktail? And eventually he got tired of it. He was like, fuck you guys. Like, I also want to just sit down and chill. So he started bottling cocktails and he put like a big bottle in the fridge. He was like, serve yourselves. I don't care anymore. You just, yeah, do it yourselves. So that's where the idea come from. The squared bottles, when me and Nick started talking about it, I... I was like, we need something sexy. Like we need to do something that's amazing because liquor brands are pretty tacky. Like in general, they don't look awesome. They're doing a great job, but just visually they're not there. So when we browsed for bottles, um, we just wanted something that felt luxurious, that felt classy, that we would personally want to buy. I think me and Nick, we always buy into luxury. Like we love good food and good drinks and we wanted something that felt like quality so that's where the square bottle came from and i think also it looked unique on the shelf everything was round so we discussed a lot about I mean, why is everything round is there a reason for it why don't we just do this in a squared one yeah maybe we'll regret it later but we went for it and that's how it how that one came about did you just arrive at it or did you test it out in the market or was it just like, okay, we like this design, so we're going to go with this design? Everything is very rock and roll that we do. I think, uh, yeah, it, it, everything is from one day to the next. We, our partner and uh, PR manager, Armin, he was the only one that we showed the options and he was like, that one. We were like, yes, that one. And then the next day we ordered that and same with the label. We were like, oh, we don't like this. Let's fix, fix, fix. And then next day, pam, we just printed it. It was there was no, a lot of people think that there was like a big agency creating these things. And no, it was just, we just did what we thought looked good and we still love it. So I, I guess what we did was to some extent, right. And where are you today with the company? Because it's still, of course, fairly new, but I think it seems like, at least from the outside as well, like a lot of happened since, since you launched, both in terms of like the brand that you've established so far, the story that you have been able to to communicate, but also just like the from a more business perspective, I, I could assume that you have uh, grown. What is kind of the current status quo? Well, so we started with nothing, right? We started with 4,000 kroners, literally. There was very little upfront capital that was needed to do this. Since then, since our first, I remember we high-fived when we sold four bottles, which was in February 2021. Since then, I mean, yes, we we grow and we grow fast, like a lot of startups, I guess. And we're really, really happy about that. Now we have a small group of people who, a small team, so we don't have to actually mix the cocktails anymore. For example, we got staff doing that and that's amazing. They're freaking rock stars. And yeah, I mean, hopefully we're just starting our journey out right now, even if we feel like we've come far since back when we were doing it in our kitchen at home, you know. I 
I started to think about me and Carl during Corona. We we started doing uh, yoga because you could do it uh, online, and it was a good way to sort of uh, also do something with your colleagues when you couldn't meet up in person. And then we got this brilliant idea that why don't we start a yoga brand and start selling yoga mats and the by far most difficult thing is getting started and getting those very first customers so i was super curious to hear like how did you go about you know you had four thousand kroner in starting capital and then you maybe produced the first products and sold them to the first four customers or how many it was but who did you sell it to and how did you get in contact with them and convince them to to buy the initial product so you could proceed to the next step? How did you go about that? We built an Instagram account before we launched. So before we even had a website or anything, we had an Instagram account that we built. And a lot of people started talking about it before we were ever available. And why do you think that is? Like, how did you get people to talk about an Instagram account for a company that didn't even exist at the time, maybe? We posted it ourselves to our social medias. Um, our friends and friends of friends. And then we had this one, yeah, maybe that made the big difference actually. We had this one big influencer who we sent a batch to before we ha- had a website, like before we were launched. Her name is Josephine HJ, one of the biggest fashion influencers in Denmark. And she's amazing, such a sweetheart. So she posted a bunch of stories with our products in them. And I think that kind of flipped uh, or um, th- that put us on the map, at least in the fashion industry, because she's very strong in the fashion segment. So people were like, what is this? And okay, cool. And then after our first order, people started talking. Worth mentioning is also that our partner Armin at the time, he was doing PR at Samsung Samsung. And he picked us up a lot for the events together with the marketing, the head of marketing, her name is Sophie. They picked us up. So for a lot of Samsa Samsa events, we we got to do their events. And after that, it was just kind of snowballing. I mean, we've done, we don't really have a sales function because we didn't have money to hire anyone. And me and Nick, we barely had any time. So almost all of our income has been based on, on requests that has come in. And I, I think it's because we have a very strong social media presence. And started mainly like doing events, for instance, for, for fashion brands or clothing brands, or that's also like we talked about before starting this podcast were uh, how I first stumbled upon Iris. And, and that was through our friend, good friends at that. Another aspect where they did an event with you fairly in early days as well. Um, so do you think that was kind of the strategy, maybe without knowing it, that were the thing that got you out and about from, from the get-go? Yeah, that's so crazy because it was so uh, unintentional, you know? I think our product just resonated with the fashion industry. And so we're so grateful that that all these brands picked us up. Uh, another aspect, I mean, these guys are freaking swag. They they order no, but they order like good cocktails for their events, right? And I think yeah, it's 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 probably a combination of the product being what the product is uh, when it differentiates very much on the market still, and the fact that the fashion industry liked us. It makes a big difference because they are they are very powerful, influential people, and and if they like what you do, then all of a sudden, other people start liking what you do. But it wasn't something that we were like, this is the strategy we're going to go for. I think still to this day, every single thing that we do, we're like, oh, it would be so cool to do this or it would be so cool to do that. And then we just do it. And we don't 
we're like kids. I think we don't really think about the consequences too much of the creative decisions that we make. And that sometimes you just need to go with your guts and then it works. You know, you have an awesome product. You have some great cocktails, the actual content, but a brand like Soundbox that we talked about previously, you know, they are also all about the experience, everything that goes on beyond the product. How how do you curate experiences around the Eris product? And is it something that you are, you know, focusing your energy and time on? Or are you mostly focused on just like creating that perfect product? That's a good question. I think we would love to do more. Uh, right now it's still very much core business because we have to. And I mean, not that many people know about us if you think about it. Sure. Maybe in Copenhagen, but if you just go to Jylland, then almost no one knows who we are. So we're still very much focused on uh, getting our product and our message out there. No, I don't think we do that much actively. I mean, the thing that we do, I guess, which is different and people love is when we come out and we actually do events or tastings or you know when we're physically there but apart from that not not really how about like um associations to the product is there anything you want to be associated with you know the, the product and the brand like you talked a bit about that you wanted to create something premium is that what it has to to speak to the bias of of it or, or what kind of story should be sort of associated with the areas brand absolutely quality we love quality in everything that we do. So it, our product, uh, we, ha we have very, very, we're very, very picky when it comes to uh, our product and how we develop it and what we do and which liquors we use in there. Like when you, when you buy Aries, you, you literally buy some of the best cocktails that you could get. They usually cost quite a lot if you would go out and drink it at a bar. Um, so quality and, you know, just the looks and feels of it, you need to, when you hold an Aries bottle, you feel like you're holding something special and that's what we want to become even better at. Even Maybe we go in more premium, who knows? Speaking a bit about the journey you've had so, so far and maybe also from a more personal perspective, you mentioned that, you, you know, Aries was kind of born out of necessity and also like doing tough corona times together with your partner and also that just like the fact of starting uh something like partnering up with your partner like uh, you know in a hard time building a completely new thing how was that like in terms of flipping it uh, flipping the script you, you mentioned that it, it kind of came with some sort of some portion of, of an anxiety as well uh but how did you get through that uh, you need to i first of all i believe anyone can do it Anyone can flip their life around. Anyone can make the craziest changes. But you need to know that it is not easy. It is hard work. One day you're on a super high because something good happened and you're, you're freaking, oh, let's take over the world. And then the next day you just want to dig your own grave kind of because you, you're faced with problems and insecurities that you have never been faced with before. I think... Our society is very much built on safety nets and comfort zones. And that's what we're used to. And all of a sudden, when you need to build your own thing, you're kind of pushed out of all that. And you, you all you need to figure out shit without it being comfortable and without it being secure. I mean, we didn't have a salary for the first, whatever, five, six months. We didn't have a pension plan. We didn't, you know, the, a bunch of those things, which, oh, well, okay, we need to pay those bills. Oh, shit. Okay, here comes the tax authorities. And, uh, you know, just... 
things like that, that you don't really need. I've never had to care about that. I've been employed my whole life. How was that shift from being a consultant, working comfortably and, you know, and going to super uncertain times post pandemic and building your own thing? Like, how was that transition? Horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible. In the beginning, you're like, oh my God, my life is either going to be over or this is going to go really, really well. But it it can be really, it's a 50-50. But did you manage? Because I feel like speaking from, from my own experience with, with Julius and I, I think sometimes you also have to kind of try to fall in love with the hard stuff, right? You have to try to manage the uncertainty and turn it into something good and like see it as, okay, it's part of like the package, right? If you only see it as, as shit, I think that the journey is just going to be so painful if you literally only like the good stuff. So how do you, have you started to kind of fall in love also sometimes, maybe not fall in love, but at least like acknowledge some of the more um, painful parts of building a company? I think what makes you keep doing it is that the upsides of doing it outweighs the downsides. It's not that I, that I, well, yeah, sure. It's, that's actually a really clever way of looking at it, trying to embrace the shit. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you have to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like going from fire to fire with a big smile on your face. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I think we've been taught around these like Brenny Brown principles through some a course called Dare to Lead. And she also says, embrace the suck. Like it's completely the same. Yeah. 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 That's super interesting. Yeah. I think that's one part of it. But then I think, for me and Nick, at least, we're so grateful that we get the freedom to choose what we want to do and how we want to do it. We get to capitalize on our creativity. It's so cool. I've never got the chance to do that. I get to wake up in the morning and I get to be happy. I get to go to bed on Sunday night and be excited about waking up Monday morning. That that was unknown to me. Like I used to hate Sundays, hate them. And like this whole thing about freedom and capitalize on your creativity, is that the thing that gets you up in the morning? Also, maybe during that time where things were really tough, what got you through that? What were you thinking about every morning when you started the day and when you ended the day? Like what kept you going uh, and, and still getting through it? Because I don't think any person can can do that. Like it comes down to also your will and wish to get through it because you can maybe see something that, that keeps you motivated around it yeah i think there were three things that was one part definitely the first thing was i don't want to go back to where i came from even if this is bad or even if this is tough it's better than where i came from that's the first thing the second thing is that we believed so much in aries there was there was no turning back like when we'd created this thing this baby we were like oh and we can't leave it now now it is now we're on this ship and you know if it sinks we sink with it And the third thing was that we had each other to lean, you know, I I would never have been able to do it with Nick. He would never have been able to do it with me. We talked about this a lot of times. It's hard to run a business alone. I mean, you guys are also, yeah. Yeah, you know what it's like, right? When, When shit hits the fan, you call each other and all of a sudden two brains are so much better than one. Uh, And you figure things out and it just feels nicer to have someone to do it with. I think two two years ago, approximately, we we got a coach to sort of help us get closer to each other because we were two different <laughs> places and we needed to get closer to the middle, both of us. How have you and and Nick managed to work together as as a team, especially when you're also in a couple? I guess it can be quite personal once in a while. 
<laughs> I was like, oh no, don't ask me. <laughs> yes. Well, I hope that you guys can relate to this. But sometimes... We're almost in a romantic relationship as well. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you just disagree, you know, and it's... Um, we are in a very, very good place now. And we found that place like eight months ago. Eight months ago, we had this Titanic situation. Like it was just like, we could not figure it out. We were fighting about everything. I want the glass to be like this. No, I want the glass, you know, just stupid little things. And then one day we realized that maybe we should try and build this and have fun. Uh, as as we go along and then we had to have very 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 naked and transparent conversations about uh, how we talk to each other um how, how, what do you think about things when i think like this or j you know I, we didn't have a coach because we're broke <laughs> or so we had to figure it out ourselves and now we've reached a place where we instead of making decisions that are based upon emotions or stubbornness or pride because i think a lot of the times pride play an important part we try to make decisions that are based on facts or reality like what's best for the brand it's not going to be best for you and your idea of what's best but it is going to be best for the brand so yeah, sometimes i need to fold sometimes he needs to fold sometimes we agree sometimes we need each other to get to the next step it's it's really, really special having a partner and then double special having a partner who is also your boyfriend or girlfriend. I, I, I don't think it's for everyone, but I think that the couples who do manage, like the gunny guys, they're still together, right? Well, it's doable. It's doable, but you need to work on your relationship both at work and then you come home and then you need to work at your relationship at home. So it's like double of work. Can you shut off from uh, work when you get home or is it just like work, work, work? We never shut off. We tried that for some time and it doesn't work. Uh, we gave up. <laughs> we were like, screw it. Let's just talk about work. Do you have any good routines or habits that helps you then feel good through the journey? Like do you meditate or read books or go to the countryside in the summer house or sort of what uh, keeps you sane and not getting burned out or stressed when you basically are thinking about work all the time because you're in a relationship with your business partner as well yeah we try to work out that's always a good way to shut your brain off i don't think we actively because we i mean i i come from an industry where it's pretty common to burn out so i'm very aware of my working hours when my head starts to hurt, I shut my computer down and I go for a walk. And you can do that when you are your own boss. I mean, we go out, we love to travel and we, if we want to go for a weekend, we go. Like we allow ourselves the time. Fine, we need to work four hours in the morning from the hotel room. But then we can actually allow ourselves on a Saturday to go out and just enjoy wherever we are. We haven't come to a point where working around the clock has become an issue. And I think, I mean, that might also be a dangerous part because when you're having fun working, you don't really see it coming, right? If you ever hit a wall, hopefully we won't. But still, I think we're balanced it out quite well right now. Even if, even if, yes, we talk about work a lot. Oh yeah, Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus, we have all that. So like in the evenings, when we don't want to look at each other anymore. 
Nick watches his film, which is usually an action whatever, <laughs> and I do my films and then, you know. It's all about the the list that the both of you made kind of when you were put in this situation where you had to or you kind of were forced to think of okay what's next in, in my life as from a career perspective where should we live and like all of these questions were just up in the air and then you had this exercise of a lot of doing a lot of thinking in terms of where do I want to go with my life and what do I want to accomplish how did those conversations merge into becoming Aries as it is today and building cocktails because I'm, I'm quite curious to know, you know, the, the dreams that you have and, and the dreams that Nick has and like how those got combined into what Aries is today. Was it difficult to not just go like, okay, I'm going to go all in on my list and you're going to do yours speaking about watching your own Netflix show? On both of our lists, we had freedom. We both wanted to be free. We both had that we wanted to do something that we felt was uh, cool. We wanted a project that we loved and that we felt was, oh, this is, this is nice. It's kind of more like criteria. Yeah. It was just like criteria. So what would make a good life and what, what we wanted to do. Um, it wasn't like Nick never said, I want to shake cocktails for the rest of my life. And I never said, I want to build the coolest brand. That's not what we, it was diff other parameters. It was more like value-driven. Value-driven yeah. stuff, yeah. I think that's also like the better way to start. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I think everyone carves out their own path. And the the one that we carved out worked back then and it's still working now. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow everything goes to, you know, down the drain, who knows. But Yeah, value-driven. Yeah, that, that's how it started. I think looking a bit ahead, and I know you're uh, big into like uh, manifestation. How do you work with kind of setting, you know, your, your future trajectory? We talk about goals all the time. And if there's something in my life that I'm unhappy with, I try to identify where that unhappiness comes from. It's not that easy always, actually. Sometimes you're, you get hit by this this thing. I guess it's an emotion and you don't really know where it comes from. And after you've identified that, then I you always use Nick to talk about uh, this. This is how I feel about this thing. How can I change it? And then you said goals and the manifestation is a big thing of what we do. We always start our year by mapping out what we want for the year. And then we revert to that list once every month to see if we have advanced on those points. And then you just work towards that. But, you know, it's just about, I guess, key ingredients is just set your goals and be very, very disciplined. Do what you told yourself you were going to do. And those goals that you set, are they then, you know, metric based in terms of like the business growth? Uh, or is it more like, you know, again, value driven in terms of like, can I check off the box of feeling truly free this month? Or is it both? For Aries, it's very much metric now. Because the freedom, we now we have it. Okay. Uh, so uh, I don't, uh, yeah, for Aries, very much metric driven. And then and now we have started to, there are things like friends and family uh, that we've talked about that we want to carve out more time for. Now those kind of things have become important already because you are very busy. I mean, you guys know when you when you have a company, then it takes time. You can't just, it's not a nine to five job. 
At, at least not for us. I don't know what it's like for you guys. <laughs> not no, at <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then all of a sudden you're like, oh, how's my mom? That's why when you called me outside, I was like, I'm talking to my mom. Like, don't disturb me. This is my my most important time of the day. So uh, yeah, those kind of goals, more soft ones. Or the this targeted approach towards uh, setting goals and reaching them and setting new goals and reaching them. Is that something you you learned at business school and being a consultant? Or is that something that you just have through your personality or that you both brought to the table together? Or where does that come from, that approach? Because not all people are that goal-driven. Good question. Yeah, you know what it's like at IB and IBP. It's like, you're not in the top 10%. It, I probably got some from there. Yeah, definitely. I, it would be a lie to say no. I, I think... Uh, i don't think school does not prepare you to become an entrepreneur at all. I don't I don't feel like CBS prepared me for that, but what CBS did teach me is that you can do anything that you want if you just decide I'm going to fucking do it. Like I have a master's in finance. I suck at math. I'm bad with it. I'm bad with numbers. Uh, that was probably not if I could redo it, I should probably not have done it the way I did, but It for sure did teach me that if you just set your mind to something, regardless of how tough it is and how little you know about it or how talented you are, you can do it. But you just need to put in put in the work. So yeah, definitely CBS. And then I, you know, I I grew up. Um, I was a professional horseback rider when I was a kid. So it was I I think a lot from the sport as well. Uh, because you have to get up early in the morning, and that's basically never an off day. There's never no, and you have to do it. Like, yeah, I mean, sports in general isn't isn't like that with all sports. If you you get like a winner mentality, yeah, maybe that's part of it. The winner mentality, you want to do good. How do you work creatively with the development of of areas as a brand, both in terms of like the, the content that you produce, and also like just coming up, with, like you mentioned earlier, with how should the design of the bottle look like? What types of events should we do, and all of this? How how do you work creatively uh, and also to get in collaboration with Nick and the rest of the team? Do you have like a, a process that you follow or is it more like 100% uh, intuition or how does that work? I think we get very much inspired by the culture here in Copenhagen. Uh, very, very much so. And then we get inspired by different creative communities around the world. We get very inspired by the fashion industry. I think we pick and choose things from different the restaurant industry we love going to good restaurants and good cool concepts and uh, we spend a lot of time on instagram because that's also sometimes where we find new stuff that we want to experience or new brands that we want to get to know and i i think it's not like we plan to do it uh, you that's just what happens and then you find yourself talking about things that inspire you and i i guess without sometimes unintentionally you you get inspired by things and you only realize it until like weeks or months later you're like oh yeah right that's actually where that idea comes from is that also how you stay up to date with trends in, in drinks because you're really sharp i think at you know what are people actually drinking in terms of cocktails right here right now espresso martini negroni old-fashioned etc like that's that's what people <laughs> Are drinking when they're out these days, at least in Copenhagen. Those are classics. So the reason that we have the line that we currently have is because we're firm believers that if you cannot mix a good classic 
you can't do anything more tricky. You need to start doing basic piece of clothing before you can go off and be like an haute couture designer, whatever, bad metaphor. But, you know, you need to be able to do a really good Negroni. Our first two cocktails was Negroni and Old Fashioned. We didn't have anything else in our line. And Nick, and especially Nick, is a firm believer that if you cannot perfect something that's the most basic, then you shouldn't deep dive into something crazy complicated. So we started with that. And then the cocktails that we currently have in our line are cocktails that we enjoy. And we enjoy the classics. We would never go and drink something where, you know, the ingredients list is super long. <laughs> yeah. They're also really good. So uh, <laughs> thank you. We, we enjoy them. A natural follow-up question for that have to be, what is your like personal all-time favorite drink? And you have that at the moment in your current uh, product offering. Yeah, yeah, I do. Whiskey sour. Whiskey sour. Okay. Always. But I mean, they're all my babies now. I, <laughs> I, I love to drink them all. But we have an exceptionally good whiskey sour. What are the dreams that you have for Aries? Where do you want to take the company and the, and the brand? We have big visions. We want to revolutionize the cocktail industry, basically. I mean, we're not interested in staying. We're not interested in remaining a small brand. We really want to we want to go big. I mean, we, we want to do really amazing stuff with Aries. It would be really cool if it could become a standard for a good cocktail. So if you walk into a cocktail bar and you ask for an Aries, that would be like our goal that people do that. Hey, do you guys have Aries on the menu? Because then we know that it's a good cocktail, just the way that you have beer brands on a menu or Coca-Cola, I guess. That's what we want. That's the dream dream, the big, big dream. What do you think is the, like the, the biggest challenge in order to, uh, to get there? What, what do you think is like going to be, you're like a coach now, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm just, just super curious in terms of like getting to know uh, what are the, the obstacles that you uh, imagine facing? I think it's about making the right decisions at the right time. I think that's what's going to matter the most to, to achieving that, if you ever achieve that, yeah. Carl and I, we, um, we once did another podcast where after the podcast, we spoke with the host to understand better what she actually does because she hadn't told us that before time. And it turned out that she was two times world champion in rowing. And in, in rowing, at one point, you reach a certain weight in, in the sense of how strong you are as well. So you can't push that much further in terms of the, the physical force you put into, into rowing. What, because she got too heavy? No, so she just stayed on, on the 59 kilo. Just reached a level of like, you know, her physical performance were at like a peak, right? And then we were like, if you all sort of at that stage, because they were all at that stage, how do you then win and become the world champion? And then she said that she started visualizing every single night. I think she even drew it on a piece of paper, but like, how does it look like when I win the, the world championship? And she did that for a whole year. And eventually won the championship. And it looked quite similar to the picture she had imagined. But then she was like, this could have been, you know, a coincidence. I need to prove to myself that it wasn't a coincidence, that I can do it again. So she did it all over another year, imagined, you know, winning for the second time every single uh, evening or night before going to sleep and eventually won for the second time. And then... I don't know how long after, but then she sort of stopped after having proved to herself that she could be the world champion two times in a row. If you were to paint the, the picture of where you, you see uh, you and, and Aries go, how, how would that picture look like? 
What would that picture look like? Do you know the brand Byredo? Perfumes, yeah, they're known for their scents. It's super, super nice design. I think just a if I could uh, just a big picture of that bottle because their success story is a very good measure for what we want to do. I don't know how, how am I supposed to pick a picture? Yeah, me and Nick drinking cocktails on a yacht. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's that. I mean, tough question, and you might not be able to answer it now. But do you see yourself like eventually selling the company, or do you see yourself growing a, an, a cocktail empire, or sort of what will it turn into? Now that you're saying that you're sitting on a, on a yacht. <laughs> I mean, this is this is something we've discussed a lot already. Selling, yes, of course. If someone comes with the right offer at the right time, we would, of course, consider selling. In 10 years, who knows? Maybe we don't even want to do it anymore. Or maybe we do. And the things that we want to do requires that we sell. For example, Byredo. I mean, they, they are where they are because of the decisions that were made by the founder. Yeah, we're, we're, I don't think that we ever thought that we would be able to build a family cocktail empire that would go for generations and generations. I think we've always very much thought like a startup. You build it, you grow, and maybe you grow fast or you grow a little slower, but then eventually a buyer comes along and you you need capital and you need money to take it to the next level or do something even cooler. Than, and I mean, to revolutionize the cocktail industry, which is what we want to do, will require some dough. We can't just... If we're doing it as a family thing, or like me and Nick, it's going to take an entire lifetime, I think, to do that. How does it look like when you revolutionize the, the cocktail industry? Like, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to be like that people actively ask for Aries when they walk into a bar. That it becomes such a stamp of approval that this is a good cocktail. I, I'm not... I. I don't think that we will ever replace bartenders because there are very good bartenders out there, but I definitely think that we will make life easier for bars, restaurants, for the consumer. Yeah. Because you would literally make like a better product than if you were to mix itself in the moment. You could try to mix it yourself and you'd probably, you could do a decent cocktail, but it requires a lot of ingredients. It requires a lot of knowledge, a lot of planning, a lot of time and quite a lot of money to do it if you want a home bar. To hire bartenders, to have really skilled bartenders is quite expensive and it takes training. It's a niche thing to do to create a good cocktail. It's, it takes, in Sweden we call it fingertoppskänsla. Is that a Danish thing? Fingerspiskefühl, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's a Danish word. <laughs> it's just maybe a German, I don't know. <laughs> German. <laughs> I think we have gotten around so many good things. Maybe it would be cool. We have talked a bit about it, but we we try to also explore like how how does the good life look to the, the guests that we have in in the studio, like where you are right now in life and and seeing you know your weekdays is is that the good life to you or how would everyday look like in the good life? What makes up a a good daily life to you? I mean, we're really really happy where we are right now. Of course, everything can always get better. Of course, we have bigger offices, more hands, better this, better that. But we're really happy with where we are now. Because today is better than yesterday. And we, I think, I mean, we always work towards a better tomorrow as well. So, And I think it's also important to just be grateful for what you have yeah. while you strive for something better. That was it for our conversation with Dia. 
We hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, you can find more episodes of Generation C in your podcast app or on the Copus website. My name is Julius. And my name is Carl. And you have listened to Generation C.